Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 316, recorded April 8th, 2020. So today we're doing the UK comic strips, matey. (laughs) Wow, I thought an English guy had got on the call or something. Maybe a, maybe a seaman. I don't know what that was. <laughs> it kind of sounded English. An English and, blackbeard. And then Australia. the matey in there. So it was a it was some kind of a pirate or or seaman of some kind. Yes. So yeah. So we're doing the UK comic strips, uh, sixteen, seventeen, and eighteen that all came out in nineteen seventy. Mm-hmm. So I like to call this period of Star Trek the BD era. Before Donovan. Before Donovan. Uh, okay, yes. Anything that's before Donovan is crap. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could say these these are crap, but um, no, no. I, I wouldn't be say negative. crap because the, uh, the artwork is quite nice. In the first one. Yeah. In the first story line, uh, the artwork, I, I, I like it too. Uh, then right. it took a nosedive. In, yeah, uh, they, they, they changed authors. I mean... Uh, artists and you can really tell the difference big difference Oof. night and day so uh these all came out in tv 21 weekly in the uk all in the later half of 1970 so i mean we've done 18 storylines from the uk strips and i i would say i've enjoyed most of them i mean they're not great usually better than gold key um mm. which i still like gold key for the most part but even though you get a little too much, and I think that these three, unfortunately, kind of fall in that category. It's just like, I like it because it's Star Trek, but there is some logic leaps in the story that uh, it's hard, no to, sense. hard to stand behind. Right. Yeah, and it's uh, definitely some of the characters behave quite differently than they ever did on the TV show. Right. Uh, but, you know, different audience, you know, a little spin, writing for the young folks, I think. Writing so. for the youngsters that are probably just watching this on, well, shoot, my 1970 was already off the air, so it might have been in syndication, but syndication wasn't that big back then, right? And who knows in the UK? Right. I saw tons of Star Trek Taws over and over again in syndication in the US, but uh, who knows in the UK? Right. I do know that Next Gen was, was popular in the UK, but that was first run. Right. Yeah, that, that was first run. Uh, so, who knows? I remember being in the UK when Doctor Who was coming back on. Mm-hmm. The, the ninth Doctor came back right, on. Right, right. And at the time, Enterprise was still on in the United States. And when I was in the UK, there there was, like, all the newspapers and stuff, you know, were actually had little articles about Doctor Who and a crossover with Star Trek Enterprise. And I was like, oh, huh? it would be amazing. Huh? But, uh, but unfortunately, it never happened. No. Yeah. But yeah, there was. Did talk we of, talk about that? Be, did we talk about that before? That somehow seems familiar. Uh, I think we might have mentioned it when we did the Star Trek Doctor Who. Okay. Comic. Right, the comic book crossover. Right. Um, yeah, that's never going to happen. 
But they're both franchises. I can see that, that ever happening. Yeah, oh, in, but... in live action or Li- in, in live Never action happened. TV shows? Nah. Yeah, they're not going to do that. Too many companies that have their their hands in the in the in the pot. They yeah. would all have to agree, and that exactly. Would yeah, these three stories are okay, I, I guess, by UK comic standards. But they are good ones, as you say. They're Star Trek stories, so you got to love them. And uh, and they have some they have some some good points, and then a lot of bad points. But hey, whatever. It's all good. Yeah. So let's just quit uh, with the uh, you know bashing it before we even have a chance to talk about it. So why don't we just jump into this, the the first one? Okay. You agree? Let's go. All okay. Right. So I'm doing storyline 16, and this was from TV 21 and Joe 90 issues 52 through 57. So I don't really know who the writer was, but the artist supposedly is Mike Noble. And he does a pretty good job, I think. 900 years ago, the technologically advanced planet of Tekor was inundated in torrential rain that lasted three months. Their technology and their numbers, populations, didn't matter. All trace of their civilization to the tallest spires were covered in rising water levels. Tekor. Waterworld but without Kevin Costner. The mighty starship Enterprise enters standard orbit around Tekor 900 years later to investigate the disappearance of a survey expedition that was dispatched two months ago to study the historically fascinating water world. Kirk departs the ship in a shuttlecraft with a team of four men in blue shirts to look for the missing survey team. As they fly above the never-ending covering of water, Chekhov spots something close to the surface. Kirk flies the shuttle lower to get a better look, when suddenly the red tentacles of three-eyed sea creatures reach up and grab the shuttle. Meet more of the alien submarine monsters next week. So that's the end of uh, issue 52. Issue 53... The shuttle's engines cannot free them from the clutches of the Leviathan. Before it can crush the shuttle, Kirk electrifies the hull, which convinces the creatures to let go. The shuttle, unfortunately though after it's released, flies out of control. Kirk cuts the engines just in time for the shuttle to hit the water. The shuttle begins to sink, but all are well within the shuttle. They call Uhura and Spock, but they cannot help. Spock conjectures the sea creatures could have gotten the survey team. Kirk says there is no sign of floating debris, so they just turn on the shuttle's handy-dandy submarine mode and start trottling around in the depths. So they're driving around like Jacques Cousteau and see the buildings of the ancient civilization. It's like flying over Atlantis or something. They see no sign of the survey team, but need to alter their course when confronted by four of the huge sea creatures dead ahead. Kirk hangs a Yui and ascends until they start to encounter thickening water. The whole sea is freezing around them. Will Takor claim another victim? Find out next week. So that's the end of issue 53. Issue 54. The shuttle is literally frozen still and anchored to a building on the sea floor. No floating to the surface for them. 
They can see fish swimming near the shuttle, so somehow only the shuttle is encased in ice. Four of the huge sea creatures that look like red brains with tentacles approach the ship. Meanwhile, Spock preps two fully armed shuttlecrafts to send down and aid the captain, but Kirk says, don't launch them yet. The creatures stopped near the shuttle just to observe, almost as if they are conferring with each other. Kirk tries to break free of the ice by firing the shuttle's engines forward and backward. One of the four creatures starts sinking as if it's lost consciousness and hits a big old bell on the way to thud on the sea floor. They can't break the shuttle free and start to descend like they are in a turbo lift. They try to contact Spock to ask for the shuttles to be sent, but they are jammed. Finally, the shuttle stops within a dark undersea chamber. The lights come on to show that they are in a room that is filling with air and draining off water from the melting ice. The lights come up and they see Starfleet survey ship SF-788 that has heavy damage. Next issue... The Mystery of the Wrecked Survey Ship. So that's the end of 54. On to 55. Kirk addresses his away team. Apparently, Tekor is not a dead world, and whomever still inhabits it is intelligent and likely dangerous given the shape the survey ship is in. They arm themselves to the teeth and leave the shuttle in a dead run to the survey ship. They find no one there. Next, they move to an exit into a long hallway. The hall empties into a room that contains six chambers that look like suspended animation devices. They contain the survey team. Suddenly, three tall, blue-colored humanoids enter the room, and two of them are armed with rifles. The newcomers try to speak, but it's an alien language that the humans do not understand. Of course, they did not bring their communicators with the translation circuits. It's a dead world, after all. Why would they? One of Kirk's men shoots one of the two Tekor guards, claiming he moved to shoot Kirk. All three retreat. Kirk says if they were not hostile before, they certainly are now. Chekhov states that they are trapped in this room and are likely to share the fate of the survey team. End of issue 55. Issue 56. All contact with the away team is lost, so Spock decides to travel alone down to the surface in a second shuttle. He hovers in the shuttle above the water where the first shuttle went down and uses the video probe to see beneath the water's surface. He sees a pitched battle between the red-tentacled monsters and the huge black sea serpents. Underwater gun turrets are spotted that are shooting at the black sea serpents. One of the glass-enclosed gun turrets is destroyed by a particularly aggressive sea serpent, and two humanoids swim to the surface. Spock rescues them, and with the aid of the Universal Translator, learns these are the Tricorians, and the red-tentacled creatures are called the Guardians. They are the good guys, and the serpents are the bad guys. 
Spock quickly surmises Kirk and his party are captured for their own protection, but Kirk had no way of knowing that. Spock needs to get to Kirk before he mistakenly attacks these people to ensure an unnecessary escape. Issue 57. Kirk is leading Chekhov and his men to blast their way out of the underwater facility, to escape and then return with an assault team to rescue the unconscious survey team. Spock flies the shuttlecraft into the water with his two Tricorian guides. One of the guides tells Spock the survey team is in their hospital after being attacked by the sea serpents. Kirk and his party are in a firefight with the Tricorians, which are between them and their shuttlecraft. While Spock and his guides are delayed entering by a sticky emergency entry door. The final conflict is about to happen when one of the survey team groggily runs to Kirk saying, The Tecorians are friends that are helping his team. Spock and his new friends finally get through the door and find Kirk and his team alive and standing down. Kirk uses Spock's universal translator to speak to the Tecorians and resolve the situation. Not long after the two shuttles are leaving the surface with the survey team and a new friendship with the Tecorians. There will be ongoing future contact between the Tecorians and the Space Federation. The end. Space Federation. Yes, Space Federation. They keep saying Space Federation. It's like you really don't have to say Space Federation. It's the Federation. if If you put space in front of anything, it makes it sound cooler. (laughs) <laughs> no, it sounds just, it makes it sound stupid. Space ship, space suit, space federation. I know, I know. And can we talk about these space guns that the space federation has in this space issue? Oh yeah, go ahead. What are they? They look like like wooden rifles with uh, handles on them on the front. I, I've never seen anything like that. Oh, Kirk and his team. That they yeah. have, yeah, yeah, the right. Well, that's it's it's their drawings. It has nothing to do with the TV show, obviously. Right now, there were some previous storylines that we read with the UK comics where they had like weird-looking Buck Rogers rifles like this, but they came out of like a display case that Kirk and Spock were using to uh, fight some alien guy. So you can kind of understand why they didn't look nothing like what's, what they use in the TV show. But here they are using. You know, something like that again. And and some of them, it looks like they have big wooden stocks on them. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They don't. These don't look futuristic. These look very retro. Right. Yep. Com- compared to what the, the aliens are actually using, which looks pretty futuristic. Right. Yep. Well, not everything's perfect <laughs> in the artwork. Let me, let me say that. But wait until we get to the next story. Right. It's even worse. But, um, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's it's very it, now mind you that the, like the middle part of the guns are very big and silver cylindrical things, right? So I guess that's a little not not a modern gun, yeah. Right. So what do you think of the uh, Chekhov in this? Well, he looked nothing like Chekhov. Um, yeah, and he had a blue shirt on. He had a blue shirt, and there's no way you would have known this guy was supposed to be Chekhov except. No. Kirk, who looks nothing like Kirk, says Chekhov. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, yeah. In this, is- issue, in this issue, I thought that Kirk looked a lot like there's an artist named Kirk Swan that drew Superman for many years. Mm-hmm. So he 
to whatever for whatever reason, this Kirk looks a lot like that old Kurt Swan Superman. Oh, really? <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, with like the higher forehead, and then he uh-huh. has that little quaff of hair a lot of times that are kind of coming over. Sure. Uh, but and Kirk, Kirk like kind of has Shat. that though, a little yeah. bit. I don't know. This doesn't look like Shat to me. This looks like Superman from the fifties. <laughs> I agree with you on most of the most of the panels. There is one panel where it kind of looks like the Shat, but that's probably it. <laughs> and it's on the last page, top of the left of the, of the last page. You think that looks like Shat there? I that's think, what it, I think that's that one looks of the a little ones bit I like... think looks more like uh, like old time Superman. Well, okay. Like, maybe, maybe it's the still, red shirt that's me it's off. the it's the the drawing of Kirk's face that to me looks the most like Shatner. Now, do I think it's a good depiction of Shatner? No, I do not. But compared to everything else we've seen, that's the closest to Shatner. <laughs> and quite frankly, the the survey guy. I mean, if you look really really close, you can see he's got an A. Blinken beard on. But I mean, if you if you're not looking really close. That kind of looks like Kirk again, but in a spacesuit, a silver spacesuit. Yeah, is that a, is that? I thought that was uh, part of the suit that he was wearing. You're saying that's a beard? I think that's a beard. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a beard on. Yeah, take a closer look. No, and I, if you, I, I'm looking. And if you look earlier when they're inside of the suspended animation things, or it turns out to be some kind of a medical thing, you'll see that there is a guy that has. He looks like a Lincoln. One of the uh, survey team within the glass. Right, right. Okay, case. so that's that's the guy that comes out and stops him. Yes, exactly. Okay. Oh, well, that's I think so. Yeah, I didn't catch that, but you're probably right. Yeah. So I mean, why would they draw the guy to look like Abe Lincoln? Um, yeah, Abe Lincoln in a glass coffin. It was exactly. More... It does. It looks like Abe Lincoln in a glass coffin uh, on display. Right. <laughs> <laughs> at Ford's Theater. Um, it looks like the Cinderella, or not Cinderella, who was it? Snow White, her coffin. At the oh, right, one. right, exactly. The but crystal, with Honest Abe in there. The crystal coffin with Honest Abe, who shows up later saying, Stop, you fools! They're helping us! Probably because off screen, we Kirk kissed him. Oh, so that kissed him, and then he didn't wake up until later. It and then took a little more time. Right, right. Uh, yeah, man, you got to read between the panels on this one. Uh, this one's I... a thinker. <laughs> <laughs> what did Gene Roddenberry write this one too? I don't think so. Okay. Okay. So, so and, and the only reason I mention that is that Donovan has been telling me the salacious details of the Gene Roddenberry written novel to go along with the Star Trek the Motion Picture movie. Yeah, I've always and, been a fan of the movie, and it's not my favorite, but there's always parts of it that I was like, this could be a really good story. Nah. So I've always kind of wanted to read <laughs> could the book, be. so now that we're under quarantine, I got through the book, and yeah. I'm just like, I'm glad I didn't read it as a kid. I would have been scarred for life. Yeah. So there's a lot of like weird sexual things going on. Right, and I, I was about to say innuendo, but it's not innuendo. It's flat out like <laughs> very graphic sexual and uh you know i don't know it's it's weird book man (laughs) well supposedly roddenberry apparently had a bit of a libido and some of it manifests itself i think in some of the uh female alien costumes and robot costumes i think we saw 
rather well, frequently. And yeah. I think you might be right because at one point when they're talking about uh, having sex with the Ilya robot, yeah, De- Decker's being ordered to do it or at least persuaded to do it. And then Kirk's thinking to himself, well, he's not going to be as good at lovemaking as me. Maybe I should just go ahead and do it. But maybe she'll be more receptive to somebody she knows. And I'm just like, what ah, the ah, ah, what am I reading? Ah. <laughs> it really said that? Yes. Okay, okay. So so now the audiobook is in my queue. So I will be <laughs> listening to this. Just because basically Donovan has been like the uh the National Enquirer. Yeah, every time I got me to all this salacious part, stuff. I would send him a text. Yes, did you did. know? <laughs> exactly. Anyway, you know let's, that there, it, let, it was it was nuts. Let's get back to this issue, but yeah, there's none of that. that. Is, this is definitely aimed at kids. I don't know what the, that novel was aimed at. <laughs> Adults, it sounds like. Yeah, I love the artwork of the shuttlecraft. You know, like you said, submarining like Jacques Cousteau down <laughs> through the oceans and stuff. It looks it good, but it's sense, ridiculous. But it's so pretty. Yeah, with the red belly. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But it looks really cool, and then you know they have like dolphins and sharks flying next to it or swimming next to it. It's just like oh it's, a, it's a cool visual. Yeah, it is. It's just uh, I'm not going to go into into big detail about this because I think we said the same thing about this kind of thing when we were talking about uh, Into Darkness, the the second JJ verse movie. Uh, right, where, where but at the least this one they kind of explained it. They said well, if a shuttlecraft can be in the ocean or be in the vacuum of space then it can survive the the pressures of depth well I was okay just like, well they just explained it right there well, what was i thinking well didn't that, they that's two different things didn't they also say something of like if the engines will propel the shuttlecraft in the vacuum of space it'll it'll obviously propel it through the water and it's like what <laughs> what the propulsion systems aren't the same at all you didn't know that there's a little propeller in the back that pushes space through the ship when they're in orbit? It pushes the air through. Right. Oh, right. wait, there's no air out there. No. Hmm. Now, it, it, maybe to some degree they have, a, they have a slight point that if you've got thrust, no matter how the thrust comes out, um, you know, it'll move, the, you know, equal, equal and opposite reaction, all that kind of stuff. Right. You know, maybe their point is it will move you forward, but come on. I mean, uh, Combustion, well, well, okay, so a normal rocket engine is combustion. You can't do that underwater. Uh, But uh, exactly the... Yeah, we don't know what... The technology, the impulse technology that impulse engines uses, I'm not 100% sure of. Because they they only have have impulse engines, right? Uh, Shuttles of this era? So exactly how that works, I'm not 100% sure. But I don't know. The whole thing's ridiculous. So the engineering issues with creating a vessel to hold people in with life support for something where all the pressure is pushing in on it, which happens in water, versus in space where all the air pressure in the ship is going to push out on it because, of course, you're, you're, you're tooling around in vacuum. You know, opposite kind of engineering challenges. So if you tried to build both in the same vehicle, it would uh, be difficult. Right. And would you bother? I mean, would you if you if you made a shuttle, would you bother trying to build in uh, the ability to also withstand water depths? No, you probably wouldn't, because that's that's just not part of your requirements. Anyway, whatever. Yeah, 
So, uh, in their defense, though, yeah, there was an episode of uh, Enterprise where they go inside of a gas giant, and I know, I know, waters. We're talking about something different than you know, water versus a gas giant's pressure. Okay. But inside of a gas giant is incredibly. Uh, You're right. High pressure. You're right about that. And so there was a lot of like there was a Klingon ship that was trapped under there, and they were trying to take a shuttle down into the atmosphere to. You oh, know, those rescue it the, and stuff. The, those cruddy little uh, pods. Shuttle, that they shuttle had? pods. Yeah. Oh, those pods were like really kind of. Yeah. Then they eventually, you know, had to like reinforce it with like you know two by fours and stuff. And, ah! Went in, went in, went down again. Wood two by fours. <laughs> no, it was just, they just shoved a bunch of metal girders there. So there's like the pilot, and then behind him with all these metal girders just to hold it together. Oh, <laughs> it was it was interesting. But so like I said, for all the grief we're throwing uh, UK strip back in the 1970s, you know, here in a more recent season of uh, or at least a more recent TV show, they tried to do the same thing. And, and then JJ, you know, went went even further and had the Enterprise under there. Yeah, which so I don't like it in any of those mediums, but uh, in this one is kind of charming. At least here, you got it was made for kids. They weren't trying to take it too seriously. Yeah, and they had a love scene with with Abraham Lincoln. So what? Oh wait, that's not in there. No. (laughs) All right, just kidding. All right. Okay, Abraham Lincoln. Yes. So where where does Abraham Lincoln pop up? No, I'm. We're, I was just going back to uh, yeah. They that off the screen kiss that woke him up. Yeah, <laughs> I was. I was trying to be funny. It, it was. It was gotcha. a very poor, gotcha, gotcha. poor joke. Poor go. joke. Okay. So these, the the alien dudes, they were already on the planet before the survey came down, and then Abraham Lincoln was part of that survey team. Is that yes. is that the that's the yes. gist of the whole story? Yeah. So the Tekorians, or yeah, I guess why not to call them Tekorians? They apparently adapted their... It seems like they can't breathe underwater. So... So they live underwater. So they were able to adapt their buildings, which were not, not made for being underwater, uh, to be able to be undersea uh, habitation. So I don't know how they did it so fast, but eh, God bless you. You did it. And they, and they stayed around for 900 years. So they must have, uh, over time, figure out how to construct things underwater, too. Because it's right. not like there's any place above ground to make anything and sink it. So uh, That's true. Or, they had to mine all that and process the metal and all that stuff underwater. That would be difficult. It would be. Or those are the original buildings that have survived 900 years. 900 years. That's a long time. That's a very long time. Um, you think that they would have built barges and stuff and and you know and floated on floating top floating cities and things like that. Yeah, like like the Waterworld movie, like Waterworld or yeah, maybe and maybe they did that at first. I mean, even at the beginning, they did show some scenes of people like floating around on the first page where they were giving the story of Techor. Right. So they did show some people kind of like what, what were they on? Bar, were they on? Uh, they, I think they, they just. I think that's just the city sinking. I think that's just them. On top of the buildings as they're sinking. Oh, okay, okay. Or not sinking, but uh, being yeah, flooded. Right. Okay. So I, I thought some of them might have been on wreckage or something. Yeah. But the bottom line is they're showing like uninterrupted water, so they were able to adapt themselves well enough to being under the water, and then somewhere along the line, these these tentacled red brains 
popped up out of wherever, and they were calling them Guardians. So they trained them, you think? Or did the Guardians take care of them? I have no idea. Okay. Are, are, are they somehow adaptations of Tikorians, some Tikorians? No. There's not enough time to have gone by to... to you know, through evolution to being able to take another form. Um, but, I, I don't know, they just came from who knows where. But they're 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 protecting the undersea Tikorians uh, from the attacks of the uh, Black Sea Serpents, apparently. Who are the right. real bad guys? So, Yeah, but why did they shoot the Enterprise uh, shuttle pod with the, the freeze ray? Did that ever, was that was never explained, right? Aside from just well, I think they were trying to—they were trying to—they were trying to save them, to bring them down, to to bring them down to safety, away from the bad, nasty uh, black serpents that could have come out of you know at any time. Gotcha. gotcha. So at the beginning, it seemed like all you saw was the tentacled red guardians, and that's definitely who pulled the shuttle down. Now, supposedly, the survey ship was staying above the water. And it was attacked by the Black Sea Serpents, apparently. And um, and the tentacled guardians were able to get them away, although the ship was damaged, under, you know, it, w- within the Tikorian uh, bu- undersea buildings. Right. And then they put them in stasis. They put, right. As they were trying to fix their wounds or whatever. Oh. Interesting. Yeah, it's a bit of a stretch. but And of course, again, Kirk is an imbecile. I mean, he does say a few things in there. Well, you know, because the other guy shot one of the Tikorian guards. If they weren't hostile before, they are now. So at least Kirk is acknowledging uh, <laughs> what could be going on. But in the end, that doesn't matter. He's he's gonna he's gonna bust his way out. He's got to save the uh, the survey team and his own people. So he's gonna you know they're gonna go uh, guns and Navarone and uh, and blast their way out. Right. So, good thing the which uh, is it necessary? Yes. And again, uh, this has happened before with the guys un- underground. I don't remember the story before or not, but similar situation. They didn't have a, a universal translator because the serv- the the away team just forgot to bring one. Well, oh, why would right. we need one? It's a dead world. So this is the <laughs> same kind of thing again. They don't have a translator. They go down into contact with people that they think, they don't know what, what they're going to do. And in that previous story, they were told, ooh, the guys underground are really bad. So they had an idea in their head that, that they're going to be really bad. Uh, and you have uh, no universal translator to talk to them. So anyway, similar kind of ideas. Right. At least here, the uh, Spock brings it down. Yeah, Spock, Spock, man. Spock's always the guy, isn't he? So he's got his super video vision that's able to see under the water and see that on the floor of the ocean there are, like, gun turrets manned by people that are shooting at the Black Sea Serpents. So between the gun turrets and the tentacled red guys, they're mounting a defense against the Black Sea Serpents. And Spock can see all this with the magical video thing as he's hovering above all this. And then when the gun emplacement is, is hit, then from the bottom of the ocean, two guys are able to float all the way to the surface and where, where Spock picks them up. 
Right. Um, I no, don't know how no deep this is or anything. Well, exactly, exactly. I don't know how deep this is, but it's probably deep enough. You're going to get the bends, and you're probably not going to have enough time, enough air to to hold your breath until you get to the top. But who knows? Maybe these guys have have adapted somewhat where they can hold their breath a long time. But really, you can't get away from the bends. Yeah, right. I mean, well, yeah. when that guy leaves the shuttle and goes down and opens up that hatch, he seems like he's swimming for a good long time. Mm-hmm. Good point. Good point. So, so maybe he, they can just hold their breath a long time. Maybe like they can. And, and maybe they're like the man from Atlantis or something. Or like uh, in Man from Atlantis, the old 70s TV show. I think it was 70s. Or was it 80s? I don't know. Patrick Duffy. And uh, no, it's probably not 70s. Probably oh, more like Duffy? 80s. Really? Oh, yeah. Patrick Duffy was the man from Atlantis. Oh, that's funny. I've never heard of it. it was, I think it was maybe on for two seasons, maybe. <laughs> so, but yeah, he was basically like Namor, uh, you know, Aquaman, whatever. Sure. But he didn't remember where he was from. So he was the man from Atlantis. Anyway, um, anybody that has done any kind of, uh, even snorkeling, I mean, it, it, definitely if you do scuba diving, you know all about pre- the... You don't go very deep before you start getting pressure problems if you don't equalize. And uh, even if you swim to the bottom of a deep pool to pick up a penny from the bottom or something, you you know you start feeling the pressure on your ears. Right. Um, so maybe they're adapted to all this kind of thing, but you know, air-breathing human beings, uh, yeah, we could not make that kind of a scent in any. We'd be dead by the time we got to the top. Right. There is the, that good shark movie pressure. called uh, 44, 40 meters down or something like that. I forgot. Okay. Maybe that's not it. With Mandy Moore. Okay. Where they're, they're like cage diving, where they're just like supposed to be watching sharks. Oh, gotcha. But then gotcha. the cage breaks and they sink down to the bottom. And then you know, they have to worry about how fast they can swim up through shark infested waters. Right, right. And uh, have to stop periodically to not get the bins. It, it was quite quite a good show. Oh, cool. Okay. So they must have pressurized pretty quick, too, on their way down. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they didn't seem to have a problem going down. Mm-hmm. Yep. Cool. So, anyways, anything anyway. else about this issue? Yeah, just uh, just that the Enterprise looks pretty good. Uh, pretty good. Even though the, sh- the shuttle bay is kind of uh, weird, narrow, and and the shuttle barely fits out of it. You know, for the most part, it's it's. I'm I'm taking my last looks at the de- looks at decent ships, decently drawn ships, in this issue. They, they do go a little wonky in the next couple episodes. They issues. do, yeah. Now the Enterprise isn't perfect in this one either, but it's a lot closer to to what we know and love. Right. And the Survey Team ship is quite different. That that does not look like a <laughs> a Starfleet design at all. Yeah, it looks like it has like four rockets or nacelles. Attached to it, and it's, it looks like it's a rocket ship itself. Right. So it's it pretty much looks like a rocket ship that has one, two, three, four, five like struts that come away from it, uh, come away from the cylindrical center part, and it it prop those are probably uh, nacelles at the end of them, most of them. Although, well, if you look at the beginning huh. of. Of issue fifty-five, yeah. there's an even a, a wider shot, and you can actually see what looks like a traditional Taz nacelle in what I thought was the front of the ship. So I have no idea what I'm looking at. I'm not 100 percent sure either, but hmm. yeah, because it yeah, looks like there's it's... a cot 
cockpit at the front, but then there's a fin that swoops towards the cockpit, and right. then there's a nacelle behind it that's pointing the other way. So I guess that's the butt of the ship. I don't know. It's it's a weird looking dude. Yeah. Um, the beginning of fifty five looks like we're looking from the back of the ship forward. I think. I, I thought that too, but then if you look at this nacelle and you look at the how the 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 wing or that fin at the top is sweeped back, mm-hmm. then that must be the front. Yeah. Anyway, it's weird looking. It's it's weird looking. But you know, actually, it's kind of nice because it's you get to see something different. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Not every Federation ship has to look like a Constitution class ship. Mm. <laughs> which which the makers of Star Trek didn't know, or have the budget for one of the two. Right. <laughs> That's all I really have to say about this one. I'm done. All right, cool. All right, well, then we'll move on to story number 17. This came out in TV 21 Weekly 58 through 64, which came out between October 1970 and December of 1970. The artist in this story is Harold Johns and Ron Turner. I don't know who did which, which issues. It starts off with a Federation colony called DAC Alpha, that is violently attacked by some rebels. The leader is trying to get to the communications room to call for help when he and his aide are stopped by two purple-skinned rebels. Now we flash forward two days later. The Enterprise is contacted by Starfleet HQ. The Admiral gives Kirk the basics on DAC Alpha, and then he plays a pre-recorded video from the DAC Alpha governor himself. And in this video, we see that the colony was able to stop the native rebellion, and they now have the ringleaders of the mutiny captured and ready to transport back to Earth for a trial. Kirk is then ordered to swing by Dak Alpha and pick them up. So just 24 hours later, Kirk's team arrives to the surface of Dak Alpha by shuttle. Armed with phaser rifles, they cross a hill to see five giants standing and watching over the planet with the sun setting behind their backs. The landing party sneak behind these giants, hoping to catch them off guard. When they get close enough, they realize that the giants look like Kirk, McCoy, Spock, and the others from the landing party. Then they realize that they're only statues that just happen to look exactly like this particular Enterprise landing crew. Suddenly, the statue that looks like Kirk starts to speak, and it's, it's uh, Governor LeBron's voice. He requests that Kirk and the team enter a door that has popped out of one of the statue's boots. It turns out to be a turbo lift. They enter the turbo lift and are taken to a room where the Governor LeBron is being held by gunpoint by some of the purple-skinned aliens. The governor tells Kirk that he had to deceive the Federation since his wife and child are being held hostage elsewhere. The alien leader says that they will kill the landing party and take the Enterprise. Unknowingly, Kirk has left his communicator on, so the bridge has heard this whole exchange. Scotty then chimes in and says that they'll never take the Enterprise. The Enterprise leader is not phased by this, and he presses a button that lowers the giant statue into the ground. There, they see a vast underground lair with all kinds of tanks and other type of military equipment. He reveals his whole plan to Kirk in a very James Bondian move. He tells Kirk how they're going to take this military equipment to the planet Calicoan, which is a nearby planet that has a similar rebellion starting there. He also tells Kirk how he's going to do it. 
He's going to wipe the landing party's brains and then make them into living zombies that will do exactly what he says. The leader gets the crew into this machine and he turns it on, zapping electricity into their brain, starting to erase it. For some reason, the machine explodes due to an overload, but it seems too late for our heroes. They stand waiting for orders from their new masters. Kirk and his crew are ordered to return to the Enterprise, and they are supposed to kill everybody with some poisonous gas. So he does gather all the crew into, like, I guess the fitness room or some sort of large area, and they throw the gas canisters above everybody's heads, and they fall over dead. And this is all being watched somehow by the aliens who are still on the planet. So they can now watch stuff that doesn't have cameras. With the whole crew of the Enterprise now seemingly dead, the brainwashed away team return to the planet in a fleet of shuttles to ferry the rebels back up. After they leave, one of the supposed dead crew members stirs and looks at a piece of paper that Kirk had dropped shortly after arriving on the ship. It states, and I'm paraphrasing here, we are pretending to be brainwashed. Please pretend that I kill you. We'll explain later. Pass message along. XOXO Kirk. So the zombie act continues on the planet after the shuttles arrive and they start loading up the military equipment. So as this is happening, the crew, mainly Spock, is able to cause a distraction and the group of them run into hide into the ventilation shafts. They make their way to the prison and release all the other Federation soldiers that are there. Together, the full Federation force storms the shuttle bay. They shoot the power generators, and then all the humans escape in shuttles before the whole base explodes. And then they swing back around and they capture any fleeing aliens that were able to escape the explosion by foot. The end. So how many people you think died in that explosion? Tons. I'm thinking a lot. Exactly. Yeah. This was a very violent one, I thought. It's, a, it's Well, it's about rebellion, isn't it? Yeah, so how many people died in the beginning, mm-hmm. and then how many people died at the end, and we never get to hear from the rebels as far as what their motivations were. Well, they're rebels. They don't need motivations. And and they're not white people either. They're purple. <laughs> they're, they're purple people, uh, but they look like humans other than the purple people. I mean, the purple color. Um, right. In fact, at times they look like they might might be East Indian folks, maybe, or maybe Middle Eastern, except they're purple. I mean, so I'm talking about the, the shape of their face and, you know, facial characteristics. And then they have turbans on, so... They've got turbans on. And in one panel, someone looks like perhaps a Vietnamese uh, person or, or Asian of some... or East Asian of some kind. Um, Korea, yeah, who knows... Yeah, unfortunately, it looks a lot like the old World War II era Japanese depictions in comic books and cartoons at the time. Ah. It, 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 I, I was not happy when when I got to that panel and it showed that close-up of him. Yeah, it was a little bit surprising. Right. It was kind of, you know, by modern sensibilities, it strikes one as racist. A little but bit, yeah. It was, uh, it was drawn a long time ago, but still. Uh, so we're yeah, just, we're just but, so uh, sensitive these days. I would have liked to have known what they were, why they were rebelling against the Federation, and, and the fact that the uh, when the governor was like, you know, when he was uh, released that fake broadcast saying that all was good, he mm-hmm. does call them 
native inhabitants of the planet. So ah. then I was thinking, holy cow, did uh, <laughs> is this an uprising from the Federation who came in there to a planet that was already colonized and, 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 and just like, I now claim you under the flag of exactly. the Federation. Exactly. So again, the United States versus the uh, indigenous American Indians. Or, you know, UK has a pretty big... Uh, they had a very... Uh, the Empire? Yeah, they, they colonized quite a few countries that, you know... Had people already. Weren't, weren't necessarily happy about being colonized. Yeah. Colonization by force. Yeah. So maybe, you know, because this was a UK comic strip, maybe that was where they were aiming for. But they definitely don't make it sound like that was a bad thing. The colonization, the forced colonization. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it's like, how dare these guys fight us when we're trying to bring them the wonders of the Federation? Exactly. We'll blow them all up. <laughs> <laughs> Even after they make these giant statues of us. Uh, can we talk about the statues for a minute? Yes, please. And eventually, let's get to how the Enterprise is drawn. But let's talk about the statues. <laughs> so, the Rebels actually went to the trouble and expense, and time <laughs> of constructing not only these huge, giant statues. I mean, they're like Statue of Liberty big. They're big. They're big. And the, it's not just like they're made out of paper mache. No. <laughs> the foot opens up. In a very comical way. <laughs> yeah, it's just the toe of the boot just, just yeah, opens so, up like a so, little mouth. Exactly. So the, the steel-toed chuck-a-boot uh, comes back, and Kirk and company walk into the boot. <laughs> and then they get into some kind of a turbo lift that takes them, I, I guess, up to the head? I'm not quite I'm sure. I'm assuming that's where they're at. Uh, Only because when the governor talks to them through Kirk's mouth, the, uh, the, the statue Kirk. Right. The word balloon goes points towards the the mouth of the statue, so I'm assuming that's where they're at. But right. I don't know, that might be just where the speaker is. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so they got they got rooms with elevators and stuff in this statue, and I don't know if you ever walked up the Statue of Liberty, but it's not that nice in size inside. Uh, nothing like this. So. They went to all this trouble to build these statues. Uh, and they just happened to look exactly like the Enterprise landing party. Exactly. And how did they know it was going to be the Enterprise landing party? I mean, right. it could have been any starship. Now, you could have said, oh, it's the Enterprise because they're the ones that patrol this area of space. But really, a five-year mission and everything? And how could you have known for sure? Could you see them going to the, the the trouble to make it, and then the crew of the Excalibur show up? And they look nothing <laughs> like the captain and crew of the Excalibur. It's like, uh, oh my god, what is going on here? And they anyway. did it all in three days. So the rebellion happens. Yeah. Two days later, the Enterprise finds out about it. It takes the Enterprise a day to get there. And then by the time they get there, five statues of gigantic proportions right. of perfect likeness of uh, Kirk, McCoy, Spock, and two other guys that just happened to be there, too. Yeah. I mean, how did they know those two guys were coming down? And they're holding <laughs> rifles. I even they're went holding, back They're and holding the like, same hey, rifles. Maybe the governor 
specifies which five people are supposed to come down. So I went back and reread what the governor says in his little pre-recorded message, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. nope, nope, nothing, nothing. Just Enterprise happens to be there with those five people. Right. So yeah, I, it was great. I, 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 it, the whole thing makes no sense, and, and why would you have these statues in the first place? I mean, what are they? They have a throwaway line that says something about, oh, um, yeah. They they made the soldiers recognize for your sacrifice or exactly. something like that. That we know we, you're going to have. Exactly. We soldiers recognize your courage. These are monuments to you, Kirk. I'm afraid you and your men must die. So it's like, oh wow, okay. You know, at great expense, you've constructed these statues because you're going to kill us. Oh, that's great. Makes sense. And not only that, but not only did they build these giant statues, but they built a or they just happened to have this whole layer underneath and a giant elevator to bring oh, down the yeah. statues for no reason down into the layer so that they can then walk out out of the boot once they get back down. <laughs> yeah. And, and when you look at what's underground, this is like um, remember like in Dune. Uh, you know, where they have those vast stores of water under the ground, and they're like, oh, these go on forever. And it's like, uh, uh. And like these underground chambers are kind of like that. They're big and huge, but they've got, like, spaceships, and they got tons of people down there and stuff. And they right. got little, it looks like, like little, maybe little shuttle things zooming around. Right. Anyway, this is, this is, quite, a, this is quite a big deal that they got going down here. Yeah, it's 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 a big operation, and yeah. and you're like they don't have spaceships of their own; they have to hijack the Enterprise. Yeah, yeah. How could this have happened, Governor LeBron? Under your very noses? Yeah, look at that. <laughs> that was not built in three days. No, because they no. were too busy building the statues in those three days. Exactly. So this must have been a few days before, but one or two at least. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's funny. It's hilarious. And then, I mean, there's no, like, preamble or anything. It's just like, get into this machine, I'm going to erase your brain. And then he does it. And then just by some coincidence, it does it overloads and explodes. But they well, don't say, like, somebody unplugs But the governor, something. yeah, so, so the governor sacrificed himself by... Uh, oh, that's right, he jumps into it and explodes. I forgot about that part. Yeah, so how he spotted a specific part that he could sabotage with his body. Seems a little ridiculous, but he spotted something apparently and he felt bad about getting the whole crew in trouble. So uh, he, he, he sacrificed himself, but apparently before the brainwashing completely happens and, right. and about that, it's not, it's not brain. Well, so your body dies, but you continue on in a zombie state where, where besides like shuffling around and you can't really talk, you act perfectly like yourself and will right. do anything somebody else tells you to do. Yeah, he says that your brain will be completely wiped, but then his very first order is act like act normal. Exactly. You know, well, what's like, normal? My well, brain how was wiped. I don't know what normal is. Exactly. I don't even know who I am. Right. I wipe my mind. But you got to, I mean, the five of them had enough wherewithal to start that ruse as soon as they woke up. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, I, I just got electrocuted. Um, what's my order, master? You know, just like, oh. Exactly right. Not like, oh, where the hell am I? Or something like yeah. that, which and, you would normally say after getting that. Yeah, and then later the whole crew goes along with the whole, act like you're dead. <laughs> that okay. Was so, 
<laughs> that was so silly by just writing it on a piece of paper and dropping it, uh, and then the whole crew get in on it right. with the uh, pretend like I kill you. <laughs> Pass it along. And then one guy didn't see the piece of paper. <laughs> like, what are you guys doing on the ground for? <laughs> like that, uh, like that short track where it's the the guy who created the triples. Oh, that guy. Nobody likes him, so nobody told him. So everybody else falls on the ground, pretend like they're dead, and he's like, oh, "What's going on, guys? <laughs> I was I was in the john all day. Uh, we we all we taking naps. What's going on? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that's hilarious. That okay. So they made that one to be kind of funny, and they. And they got what Benjamin? What, what's the guy's name? The actor that does um, oh. he does a lot of things. Yeah, he does. McGurk. He does Arby's. That's where I first found it from. Um, oh, what, what he played he? Coach McGurk on a show called Home Movies. Oh, but, uh, but now he's huh. famous for Archer and exactly right. I know him from Archer Bob's Burgers. and Bob's Burgers. Yeah, yeah. When I watch Bob's Burgers, I cannot get over the idea that Archer is flipping burgers. <laughs> uh, I, 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 it ruins it for me. <laughs> ruins Bob Burgers or ruins Archer? ruins Bob's Burgers. Oh, okay, because uh, I watch Archer all the time. I mean, uh, I've, you know, I've never watched it. Well, I I've only seen like one or two Bob's Burgers, but I've seen tons and tons of Archers. Well, anyway, when I, so when I lived in Japan, they they that was when uh they only had like two channels that were in English, and mm-hmm. one of them was Cartoon Network, so yeah. I watched it a lot. And they were showing that home movies or how they say it, home movies up. Okay. <laughs> so that, I watched it all, and I love that McGurk character because he was so stupid. And then when Archer came on and I found out it was him, I was like, well, I'm going to watch it because I love that guy so much. But I, I've just never done it. Uh, okay. Is it good? Well, Is Archer good? It's good. Not perfect, but it's good. Better you than know. this? Better than these issues? Yes. Yes, oh, okay. better than these issues, definitely. <laughs> all right. What else do you got about this one? The Enterprise looks horrible. Oh, Yeah. Okay, so I love it. I love how bad it is. Okay, so this is the NCC one seven five. What? Where's that? Look at it. Look at the numbering. Okay, so the oh, NCC. Oh no, you're right. Oh my God, you so, are right. Okay, so the first time you see the mighty Enterprise, <laughs> it looks like a ten year old drew it. Um, yeah, this guy is a professional artist. No, but I'm sorry. He still draws better than we did. But Donovan, I really hope I could have done better than this. <laughs> I really hope so. Oh, so go ahead and explain it. Yeah, so you're right. I never did notice the NC17. And, and, and I'm assuming about the N, because all I can really see is the CC175. Well, later you see the NCC17. Well, okay, but I'm, so. I'm talking about the. I'm looking at the first yeah. panel. Well, we okay, got to assume so, that's the same ship. Right. So the saucer section is too small and too thick, and it's just not shaped right at all. And the top of it, where the bridge is and everything, it's too big. The proportions are totally wrong. Right. Um, and it really does look like a Frisbee. It, it looks like those old uh, 1950s flying saucer movies. Uh, yeah. Yep. Agreed. And the secondary hull, at least in this shot, looks kind of okay, but the deflector dish, you know how a little antenna thing comes out of it? It's pretty long in this, in this, and it gets worse later. But it, so it's a really long needle-y kind of thing coming out of it, bigger than it should be. And then, oh my god, the nacelle nipples. They are hypodermic needles. They are so long coming out of there. It's just, it's just amazing. It's ridiculous. 
Yeah, they uh, they look like they would poke your eye out for sure. Oh, exactly. <laughs> so, really not good. What it, what the nacelles look like is olives on, on a toothpick, kind of like shoved it to the end of a nacelle. <laughs> a red olive with a long toothpick coming out. Yeah. And and the nacelles, the, the, the cylindrical part going back, it, it reminds me of like a poorly done lightsaber. Because it's all like uh, like one piece, and it's all silvery, and I don't know. It just reminds me of a lightsaber. Uh, but but that's that's not that's not horrible. It's, the the nacelles in the back are not horribly bad. Um, right. And then. But that's not uh, the only picture of the Enterprise we see. Oh here. no, they get worse. But actually, as you go further on, there's actually one that redeems it a little bit. But oh. Uh, okay, so the second time we see it. Let's look at the second one. You you want to comment on what's wrong with that one? Uh, well, the uh, the uh, neck for the saucer section mm-hmm. is about halfway down the engineering yes, hole. Yes, I agree. Which seems a little weird. Yes, and? And the saucer section looks really tiny. Yeah, it, and the neck looks like it's swept backwards Back. as it goes up. Right. Totally yeah, the wrong direction. Right. And this is the only panel. I think that's the only panel that does it. Every other panel correctly shows it sweeping forward as it goes from the secondary hull up to the primary hull. Right. But this one, for some reason, they've got it swept backward in the wrong direction. And then on, on the next panel, you can see the back of it where the shuttlecraft comes out. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. you can see the back of the nacelles. And these nacelles have... Like little rocket booster looking things coming out of it. So each nacelle has like two rocket nozzles or jet or, nozzles coming out of it. Actually, but a nozzle would flare out. That looks like the top of a rocket. That looks like the cone of a rocket, the front of the or rocket. Or the, the back it? of a like a jet airplane. You know how the engine in the back of the jet has that little pointy end? Oh, but this one yeah, has two yeah, of them yeah. coming okay, out. Okay, okay. I, I, can see, I agree with that. I agree with that. So they're going with a jet engine look. Right. Which, as we know, the Enterprise, the back of the Enterprise nacelles either has the bubble from the cage or yes. the, like, the... The flat. The, the flat, um, almost grid-like from the Kirk era. Right. Which they sometimes switched them, depending on uh, what they want to reuse the uh, old footage. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that's pretty bad. I think that was the worst. No. The worst is... The, oh, you're right. You're right. Okay, let's go to the next one. The next, so the next this one is, is really bad. the first page of issue 60. Yes. And this is the one where we see the uh, the nipples, as you call them, in their full glory. I mean, these <laughs> things come all the way from the back of the nacelles to be even with the bridge. The back of the nacelles? It, it comes from the yeah, bus no, it comes from collectors. The, comes from, yeah, so it comes from the, the front of the nacelles all Forward. the way down the whole hole of the ship. Exactly. And, it, and it seems like the tip of it is about equal to uh, where the bridge is. So, like, if you were yeah, on the bridge, really you could look long. to the left and see the top, see the end of these needle things. Exactly. Looks, it looks like a really nasty hypodermic that you would see, like, in Hostel or some, you know, horror, yeah. horror torture porn kind of uh, film that those needles are going in somebody's eyes. That on it. <laughs> Well, like what Control did to poor, uh, what's his face? Oh, yeah. H-Hip? Well, oh, wait. No, no, no. The the other, uh, the the section, 
31 yeah, yeah, yeah. guy or whatever. Yeah, when he got it in the eyeballs. Ugh. Okay, I know what you're talking about. Ugh. Anyway, and, and now the needle coming out of the deflector dish is likewise four times longer than than <laughs> it ever was in the TV series. Anyway. But, yeah. but, but I will say that at least the saucer section looks a little better. A little better. So proportion-wise, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, is this where basically the two artists are taking turns massacring the Enterprise? Maybe, <laughs> just because they look so different in so many novel but, and horrible ways. But in a way, it, it the I think this might be the last picture that the first guy did, and then they switched over to the second guy for the rest. Because after this, the Enterprise pretty much looks normal. They never show a full on of the Enterprise after this, but they always show the engineering section, and it never looks too terribly bad. Yeah. Yep, there you go. But we never anyway, see a glory whatever. shot like this one again. Uh, yeah. um, and I don't remember what it looks like in issue uh, 18. Right. So, 18 doesn't look too bad. So yeah, I think that's where they... This was the last one of that guy, maybe. And he went out blaze of glory. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Again, I'm bad-mouthing him, but... Uh, yeah, they, this is better art, still, artwork than I we could do. I still think it looks cool. It just doesn't look like Star Trek. No. I mean, it's very detailed and, and cool looking, I think. Yeah. And you were talking about how sometimes Kirk looks like different people. Um, yeah. There's one panel in particular where Kirk says, if you think I'm willingly going to hand over my ship, no lie, Kirk looks like Johnny Weissmiller. Tarzan? Like Tarzan. He looks like Tarzan. It's just amazing. Huh. I'll have to try to find that picture. But I, oh yeah, I see it now. Yep. Yeah, but then when he gets zapped later, he looks like a little kid. <laughs> yeah. When he has his hands up to his his ears, getting zapped, mm-hmm. looks like uh, maybe like James Dean or something. Mm. It's all over the place. It is. But whatever. Um, but, another, yeah, was, another. Oh, go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. I just wanted to mention that uh, an observation I had when I was uh, reading issue fifty-nine uh, within this story is, why do you never see McCoy? Well, that's what I was. They, har- I they was... hardly ever use McCoy in these, and quite no. frankly, I didn't remember them ever using McCoy in one of these these comic strips. But then I ate my. My my I ate my notes because as we as we move on into eighteen you'll start to see McCoy, so right and he and he was in this one because uh, the statue of him actually looked like McCoy I thought oh, I was right. like well this is this but did is the McCoy... best depiction of the McCoy in the whole show okay but did did McCoy actually have something to say or no okay yeah no he, okay he, he's very underused or no not used at all yeah like if he is in it he doesn't say anything. Ever, nope. you know, I mean, he could be a background guy, but he has no lines. Now that'll change a little bit in the next dish or the next story, but still. and because everybody is wearing wrong shirts, it's yeah. in, almost impossible to tell who's who, right? Because yeah. uh, except for Kirk, except for Kirk, Kirk wears red shirt almost all the time, but so does everybody else. And well, who who else wears red shirts? Almost everybody in some of these. Oh, okay. You don't think so? I I see a lot of blue shirts. Yeah, there's a lot of blue shirts. And um, 
Yeah, what? Uh, I'm just kind of scanning through. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're right. On these, it seems blue. So there's no the yellow shirts. No yellow at all. And it's not like they can't do yellow, because I see yellow all over the books. So it's not like, you know, these magazines couldn't do yellow. Yeah, exactly. Uh, anyway, whatever. Um, I th think that's all I have to say about th I'm sure there was something else to say, but I'm sure it was negative, so why say it? Right, if you can't say anything nice. Exactly. Just say it later when they can't hear you. <laughs> oh, yes. Exactly. Oh, is that not how your mom taught it? Exactly. Uh, actually, she left off the last part, I think. Uh, uh, it's a Texas thing. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. Mom never taught me that. No. All right, so let's move on to uh, the UK Strip 18, Great. which is entitled Where Giants Tread. Ooh. I do like the names. Mm -hmm. uh, this came out in TV 21 Weekly 65 through 73 between December 1970 and February 1971. So uh, this this one is interesting. Uh, the artist is Harold Johns throughout the whole thing. So hurtling through space, the Enterprise is struck by a meteor shower that appears out of nowhere. The rocks slice through the ship, leaving multiple hole breaches and one would assume a lots of death. The ship is able to change course to barely miss another sudden barrage of flying cosmic debris. Several of the crew, including Kirk himself, spacewalk outside the ship to try to commence repairs. Suddenly, a worker with a space jackhammer, see how everything sounds cooler with space in front, loses control of his device and the space jackhammer flies through space into Kirk. He is injured bad enough that even after he's in the sick bay, McCoy tells them that they will have to take the Enterprise back to Earth in order to fix him. So it only takes them one hour to do all of the following. Get to Earth, get Kirk to the hospital, and for Starfleet to find a replacement captain and for that captain to travel to the Enterprise and back onto the Enterprise's bridge. It specifically says one hour later. Amazing. So the new bridge, or I'm sorry, so the new captain comes into the bridge, and he looks very much like the old Disney Ichabod Crane uh, from The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. And uh, he goes by the name of Captain Eustace Hinsham. And he walks in wearing white gloves, and he's demanding that everybody on the bridge salute him. He then demands to be taken to his quarters. And en route to his quarters, uh, he gets very upset when he sees the men coming from back from working on the hull of the ship, and they're all dirty and sweaty. And he, uh, he reprimands them and things like that. So uh, he's obviously a, uh, a bad captain. Later, Scotty reports to the new captain, and he tells him that the meteors that hit the ship were not meteors at all, but actually man-made. He speculates that the projectiles were maybe shot out from some sort of cloaked weapon. Hensham then gets permission from Starfleet to investigate. The Enterprise rockets back to the Enterprise rockets back to its previous location, this time with its shields up, just as before. Rocks come out of nowhere and directly slam into the ship. 
but this time there's no damage. Uh, they, Ahura senses through some sonic sonar thing that there is a large mass of something nearby, and Hinsham orders a neutronic particle tank to be released, and when it does so, a small part of a cloaked meteor gun is seen. Uh, before they can find out too much more, the Enterprise finds out that it's inside of the gravity well of a cloaked planet, and they're dragged in. Hensham then starts going absolutely crazy, fearing that they're all going to die. Spock then has to take command, and he orders... Spock then has to take command, and he orders Scotty to to land the great ship onto the planet. So once they've landed, three huge land craft approach the parked Enterprise. Spock exits the Enterprise through a hatch, and he greets the guests. When the large craft stops, a giant foot emerges and nearly stomps on the tiny Spock. The vehicle is not a huge ship. The vehicle is not huge because it houses hundreds of people. It's huge because it houses a few giant men. The giant seems to be about eight spots high, which I would estimate to be about 48 feet tall. Maybe 50 if we, uh, if we uh, be a little more generous. So this is a 50-foot dude. Spock and the giant are able to talk using the uh, universal communicator that Spock is holding in his hand, which looks like a, a microphone of some sort. And the giant agrees to take them to his leader. They drive down to a huge city with Spock, McCoy, and Scotty. And then they have to actually be carried in the hand of the giant to then meet the leader, commander of the planet. They convince the leader that the Enterprise was not trying to attack or invade the planet. Uh, the leader agrees, and he, but he tells them that they're not going to be allowed to leave because if they leave, they might tell others about them, and then their whole secret planet thing would be ruined. Seeing no way to change his mind, Spock agrees to go back to the Enterprise. Meanwhile, on the ship, the crazed Hensham escapes his quarters, and then he escapes the ship. He then is able to rig up some sort of explosive to one of the large land vehicles that's still parked close by. Spock and the crew are escorted by the leader's son, who tells them that he does not agree with his father's uh, belief in preventing the Enterprise from leaving their planet. He tells Spock that he will work with his father and try to have him change his mind. As the landcraft returns from the city towards the Enterprise... The car that has been parked in front of the Enterprise all this time suddenly explodes. During the confusion, the Starfleeters escape and they find Hensham. All four of them then return back to the Enterprise. Now the Giants feel that the Enterprise really is indeed hostile, thanks to Hensham's stupid little stunt. They then start to attack the Enterprise with bazookas. Or space bazookas. Normally, a hand weapon like this would not damage the great ship at all, but when you're being held by a 50-foot person, you then have a 50-foot weapon, which then takes its toll on the Enterprise pretty quick. The leader then arrives, and he commands his troops to continue to destroy the Enterprise completely. The leader's son sneaks away, and he wants to try to get the Federation people off the ship before it becomes molten slag. 
However, one of the giant's attacks explodes too close to him, and he and he is gravely injured. Spock makes his way to the front lines, and he talks to the leader. He tells him to stop the attack and that his own son is injured. The leader calls off the attack, and he follows the tiny Spock. The giant's medics come as well, and they are not able to do anything for the leader's son. However, McCoy then arrives from the ship's hatch, carrying a huge medical bag. And so somehow he's able to get some drugs into the giant man that fixes him from almost being blown up. Which is odd, because earlier he could not do the same for Kirk when he just got hit by a space jackhammer. So in the end, the leader allows the Enterprise to leave with the promise that they will keep the planet secret. They end up putting some rockets on the Enterprise, launches it up into space, and they're able to return home. So uh, while they're en route to Earth, McCoy informs Spock that Hensham died for some reason in sickbay. The end. Or is it? Because that seems pretty suspicious that Hensham just conveniently died in sickbay. But as far as the story goes, it's over. Well, they were sick of him, so they offed him. That's what it sounds like. He's like, uh, <laughs> like dang, Spock, uh, just letting you know, Hensham dead. <laughs> don't, don't know how. Don't know how. <laughs> he was in sick bay. He dead. <laughs> don't know how it happened, but the guy we all hate is dead. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Boy, he yeah, was... that, that seems really weird. It does. Right. Okay, so so this guy was Jellicoe before there was a Jellicoe, but worse. That's what I thought at the beginning. I was like, oh, okay, he's just going to be this by-the-books leader that's going to, you know, not take any gruff. But then, and then after that, as soon as they started to land, he just became this raving lunatic guy he... that was just like, where did this guy come from? Exactly, he became Don Knotts. Exactly. Yeah, he even kind of looks like him, too. He does. I I went ahead and looked up the specific... I, I found a particular shot from the ghost of Mrs. Chicken, or the ghost of Mr. Chicken. Ghost of Mr. Chicken, yeah. That almost is the same look on his face and everything as when... When he's saying, when he, I forget nothing. Well, it, I thought it was more like, uh, Enterprise is finished, abandoned ship. And then he's like, you know, his arm is on on the chair or wherever he's at. Oh, yeah. And then yeah, there, yeah, there's yeah. like there's like black there's like a black outline around yeah, him showing he's shaking and stuff. Yeah. And then it's yellow beyond that, and it's like it's 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 kind of artistic, kind of showing this guy is really going nuts. Yeah, but then a couple but, of pages later, he looks even more Don Nazian. Yeah. 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 It's, no, I, I didn't think Don Nuts. I was just thinking Ichabod Crane from the Disney cartoon. Uh, I completely agree with you. I, I had not thought of Ichabod Crane, but when he first comes onto the uh, ship, he's got the long neck, and he's a skinny guy, and and his tunic, his tunic is 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 red like Kirk's tunic, but it is not the same shape. Yeah, so, it's pointy at the end. Exactly. Yeah. So so the neck thing, the black neck, whatever you call that piece of fabric, um, that's pointy. Uh, much more pointy than, than than anybody else wears, and then you're right. The bottom the bottom of the tunic comes down to like a point or something. 
Right, um, and if this was written by Gene Roddenberry, it would be talking about how it's pointing towards his genitalia. Oh my god! <laughs> I really got, I really got to read that book. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you, it's crazy. Anyways, okay. So anyway, so uh, old Ichabod slash Don Knotts. It's really interesting who the Brits decided to, uh, you know, draw these people after. I mean, this new right. character, I, I think, is very interesting. Yeah, it's weird. I will say that Spock, for the most part, always looks like Leonard Nimoy. So I think they got him right. Yeah. Throughout the whole book. Well, they, know. you know, it, he was a hit, right? I mean, it, it was obvious he was more of a hit than, than Shatner as Kirk. Right. Um, and it definitely is reflected in the stories that they're writing. And the fact that everybody seems to know what Spock looks like. Because they right. tend to get him right. That's true. Gold Key usually does a pretty good job on him. Yeah. But, you know, the art in this, all the actors, or all the characters look like the actors that portray him, I think. It depends um, on the panel. But, I mean, but Kirk's only in it a couple panels. Yeah. But uh, but he doesn't look too bad. And Ahura, Scotty, they look good. McCoy looks yeah. It's, I mean, Ahura's in many panels, which is good. It's good that she's in a lot of panels. Uh, and But, you know, she doesn't always look like Nichelle Nichols, but it seems like it, it's a good drawing uh, of her, though. Right. I mean, you, you can tell they're not way off. And then the few places that Sulu shows up, he looks like uh, the right age range Japanese gentleman. Uh, Is he in Japanese this issue? Descent. I don't even remember. Yeah, he's in here a couple times. Mm. And then, uh, I'm not sure about Chekhov, though. Cause, or is that supposed to be McCoy? Hmm, hard to tell. They're is all it, wearing blue. Yeah. But it's good to see McCoy. Yeah, popping and he up has finally. something to do in this one. He does. He's, um, the, he's the reason they're still alive. He's able to fix the, fix the, fix kid. the, the leader's son. The huge kid. Yeah, I don't know how he did it. I mean, the guy got blowed up real good. Yeah, exactly. And then he's like, I got some medicine here going to grow back your face. Yeah. <laughs> and like what you're saying, these guys are huge. I mean, yeah. it's so pl- can, it's it's Gulliver's Travels time. Can we talk these about These guys how are so big. Cuz sure, I, sure, I did some some scientific uh, measurements here. Okay. All right, so there's a panel yeah where it shows Spock standing right next to one of the giants, right? Okay. It's uh, it's, it's almost perfectly in profile. Mhm. So I measured it. It's, oh. It's eight Spocks. Eight Spocks. You mentioned eight, eight Spocks. Eight Spocks on top of each other is about the height of him. And so since Spock is six one, then we can deduce that this guy is about 48 and yeah, 48 you mentioned and that. So I wanted to see what else in real life or fictional universes is also around 50 feet tall. So... Shall I give you some examples? Please do. So uh, this one might not mean anything to you, but it was the first one I thought of because I'm from Texas. But uh, the State Fair of Texas is famously known for the big text that's in the middle of the the, uh, the fairgrounds, no. which cool. is a giant cowboy, and okay. he's 55 feet tall. Oh. So he's about on par with this guy. Mm-hmm. And... You know, he's been there since as far as I've been alive. So, uh, you know, he, he's a big deal here in Texas. He, he burned down a few years ago and they rebuilt him. But uh, <laughs> it's this Thank giant guy God. that gets you to the uh, great state fair of Texas. Wonderful. So anyways, he's about the same height. Mm-hmm. Then 
I was mentioned you mentioned the Statue of Liberty. I was kind of curious how big is the Statue of Liberty? So just the statue part of the Statue of Liberty, mm-hmm. not, the, not base. the base that she's on, uh-huh. uh, is 150 feet. So Ooh, she's 100 big. feet taller than Big Tex and uh-huh. this giant. Right. Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. How tall yeah. is he? <laughs> I, so, I, I see you're hitting the, the highlights. Yeah. So okay. he was 112 feet tall. Ooh. So he's still twice as big as this dude. Yeah. So then I went to more sci-fi so the Rancor from Star Wars. Oh, of- he wasn't that tall. No, I was surprised. He's only 16 feet tall. Hmm. I always thought he was much taller than that. Ah, okay. Jaws, the shark. Right, Bruce. Yes. Only 23 feet long. So he's he's not even as tall as this guy. Yeah. And then the only thing that I found that was comparable to this guy, aside from Big Tex, was the 1933 version of King Kong, who was supposed to be 49 feet tall. Ah, 49. So, oh, that's yeah, close. exactly. He hit the sweet number. I was like, that's exactly how tall this guy's supposed to be. Uh-huh. So when you're reading this book, think of this guy is King Kong-sized. Hmm. Which makes sense, because he's carrying around three grown men in his hand at one point. Yeah. Big dude, big but, dude. But you... What? <sighs> Unless the gravity was very low on that planet, or unless these guys are have incredible bones, it seems really unlikely somebody that big could survive. Just well, because of the just stresses. Told you King Kong lived. Well, he, he was that okay. Big. You're okay. saying King Kong's not real? <laughs> no, and I, he grew up on Earth. I, I, I'm exactly saying that, but I'm just I'm just saying. That people tend to get, or beings tend to get to a certain size based on their surroundings. You know, sure. gravity, are you in water, are you in air, what do you move through, those kind of things. And the oxygen level, right? So, I mean, the reason uh, why dinosaurs got as big as they did is because there was a high level of oxygen. In oh, that really? Time. Is that, yeah. really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um. So once you get that big, you need more oxygen, and if you live in an atmosphere like ours, you're not going to get enough, and you die. Oh, I did not know that. I did not know that at all. Fascinating. Anyway, it just seems really unlikely to me that Kirk and company would come upon humanoids that were this big. That big, yeah. I agree. Yeah, yeah. the giants from uh, the Cage episode, you know, that... that oh, seemed... those guys. Those yeah, guys weren't I mean, that big, but... They were what, like... 11 feet tall? 10 feet tall? Uh, maybe. Maybe. Maybe they had, they had boxes strapped to their feet that big. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean, they were probably big guys, just you know, right. big actors, but yeah. And could have been forced perspective, too. I don't know. <laughs> it was yeah. only a very quick scene, right? Just yeah. long enough to get a spear through one of them. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Pike. Take care of business. I agree with you. It kind of put me off that the guys were that big, and then mm-hmm. I, then it then it opens up the can of worms where it's like, well, why does all other planets, humans or the dominant life is usually about five to six feet tall? Mm-hmm. Why is there no other fifty foot people out there? Good question. Unless they're monsters, then they can be that big. Yeah, but not the dominant life. No, not the intelligent life form. They have to be no. between five, six feet, seven feet tall. Ah. Well, you could be bigger, but, I mean, not this big. This is really big. Right. 
Yeah. Now, if you were an aquatic humanoid, you know, maybe you could get that big. But I think just think the stresses. You think the gravity would just be too much for you? I would think so. Unless you got really dense bones. Yeah, and I don't think you would be this skinny. You, If you were that big, you would have to be big like a gorilla. You know, you would have to have large muscles to, to mm. keep you upright and moving. Mm. Yep, very possible. I would think, I would think you would be much, much more muscular than these little skinny beanpole guys. <laughs> exactly. Who are afraid of uh, people coming yeah. and discovering them. All right, can we talk about that cloaking device? Because... In my synopsis, I purposely refer to it as cloaking because that's the term I like. That is not what they use in this in this story. They call it. Oh man, I forgot. It's so stupid. They call it the the thing that hides their uh, gun. Yeah, yeah. What hides their gun and their planet? Yeah. What do they call it? They call uh, it. Uh, I have to look. I don't remember. It's weird. It's something I've never heard before. And it sounds like it's a television type thing. Anti-video. Anti-video. That's what they call <laughs> So this gun, is, which is huge, by the way, yeah. is covered with anti-video. And the planet is covered with anti-video, which then makes it impossible to see both with your eyes and sensors. So just fortunate that Ahura was able to pick up some sonar ping or something on it. Right. Yeah. Anti-video. Yeah. Well, I tell you, when you when we first saw the gun that's shooting the uh, the asteroids, meteorites, right. whatever, um, out at the Enterprise that the Enterprise has had to deal with a couple times, I was really not expecting giant gun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, we already had a giant. Uh, giant statues in the previous uh, story. So <laughs> right. I really was not expecting giant guys. But um, if you are going to be hurtling or making a mini asteroid field or meteorite shower out of the blue, I guess that's the way you do it. It's like a big shotgun shell kind of thing. Just right, shoots exactly. out all these uh, these meteorites, all these rocks. And usually you would have a deflector that would, you know, deflect these kind of things when you're moving at warp, but I guess they had it turned off on the first page. <laughs> Good question. Those are excellent questions, Donovan. I mean, now, mind you, Hinsham, got... he knew to turn on the he knew how to turn on the shields where Kirk could not. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you bring up a good point. The deflectors, which are not the same thing as the shields. Exactly. I'm sorry, Riker. The deflector is supposed to go in front of the ship when it's moving at any kind of speed. Because it's got to push this, you know, it's got to push even space dust out of the way. So it doesn't pierce the the hull. Now, if you've got these many things coming at you, and maybe if they're past a certain size, then maybe it's, well, I mean, quite frankly, if you're going to be going at warp whatever, you can't be hit by little things. You sure as heck can't be hit by big things. Then you either got to get your calculations in the Millennium Falcon right, or... You got to have a really good deflector dish, right? Uh, mechanism, even big ones like this, it would have to. It would have to, right? Yeah, you're right. Okay, good point. But I will, I will give it to the artist. I loved watching those things slice through the ship like Swiss cheese. I mean, it really looked visceral when you see like 
those see, holes, all those holes. Yeah, you there. see the people, and then there's like two holes on each side of the ship. And you know, if this was a, a not aimed at kids, you would probably see people being sucked out. You know, kind of like in uh, like a JJ verse movie, or in Discovery, yeah. Or in Discovery, yeah. yes. Yeah, but, right. But I think, I think uh, even though they did a little bit of that in Nemesis, I think they did some of the most extreme examples. Kelvin timeline movies. Oh yeah, and and the Kelvin specifically because yeah. I just watched that with uh, a friend of ours' kids. Uh, he was he's five, mm-hmm. and I was like, hey, let's watch Star Trek. And then it got to that part, and they're getting sucked out, and I'm like, oh man, I forgot. I forgot how violent this was. <laughs> yeah. And then we kept watching because I'm too stupid to turn it off until uh and then we got to the Kirk and uh the Orion scene. And I right. was just like, Oh, I don't I didn't remember this part either. Let's 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 play some Pokemon, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so that's as far as I got with uh, you know, showing it to a five year old. Well, does a five year old know what's going on? No, but I don't want him to be talking to his mom about, hey, I saw some naked green girl. <laughs> she wasn't naked. She was eh, close. Very close. She was pretty close. Right. So, anyways, but yeah, now that Kelvin stuff is pretty pretty graphic. Yeah. With them getting sucked out. Which is really cool. Yeah. yeah the, those parts are pretty cool. All right, so can we talk about how inept McCoy is and then also how superb he is? Sure, go, with, why go would, for it. Why would he have to go to Earth to fix whatever happened to Kirk when he got hit by the space jackhammer? I don't know. You're supposed to have a pretty well-equipped sickbay, but... I mean, he was able to put Spock's brain back in. He wasn't even in the sickbay. That's true, that's true. And, yes. and look at uh, Crusher replaced Worf's spine. Of course, that's 100 years later, but still, you got some pretty good facilities on a starship. Exactly. Heck, look how uh, John Carner got his heart replaced in in the desert. Oh, oh wait, that's a different franchise. Different franchise, yeah. They haven't done a Star Trek Terminator crossover yet, but when they do, that will then become We will canon. be there. Uh, we will canon. be there. They are doing a Terminator Transformers uh, crossover, so since Star Trek and Transformers have crossed over, so then does that also mean that Terminator and Star Trek will have to cross over too? Uh, probably not. So, a Terminator-Transformers crossover. Yeah. So, Terminator is typically, take no prisoners, pretty nasty. And Transformers is, eh, kitty stuff. Right. So, but they both have one thing in common, Ken. They're robots, robots. in disguise. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I dig it, but... No, you're, you're right. It, it, it does not make sense. The tone is a bit different. So IDW and Dark Horse Comics are doing that. But they were supposed to be doing the Star Trek Aliens crossover, which got canceled. So Mm -hmm. I kind of wonder if they still wanted to do a crossover, and so they picked those two franchises to crossover instead. I don't know. Yeah. But I would have loved to have seen the Aliens Star Trek Next Generation crossover. I just want to know where they were going to go with the story. Mm -hmm. Anyways, so yeah. You're a fan of the crossovers. So McCoy is inept at the beginning, but then he's a Superman at the end with his yeah. big box with the red cross on it saying, I've got medicine right here that'll patch him up. Yeah, and then again at the end, he is quite competent because he comes and says, Captain Don Knotts is dead. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> mysteriously died. Exactly. 
But I love the I love the little yellow caption box. It's like in sick bay, a mad captain lay at peace, a sheet drawn over his face. <laughs> I'm like, what? What killed him? He was okay, like the page before. It's a strain. It's a strain of the last week. <laughs> yeah, it it was a strain, all right. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, I mentioned it in the the synopsis, but how fast the Enterprise got back to Earth from when oh, it got yeah. it. When they got damaged. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, why Why even put a time frame on it? Why say it was 24 hours later? Yeah. Or no, they don't even say over. that. They say an hour later. Yep. Why? <laughs> why <laughs> don't mention was... that. Exactly. Don't mention the time frame. It really doesn't add anything to it, and it makes you look like an idiot. Yeah. I. I. That's the thing I hate about science fiction at all. Uh if something's in the future, don't tell me when it's supposed to be. I, I, to me, I think that's the cardinal rule that almost every sci-fi movie makes. You know, like, at the beginning of a movie, they'll say, it's 2044, and you're watching it and going, oh. I'm probably going to be alive in 2044, and I don't see us having cyborg implants yeah. and everything. I was like, just say it's the future. <laughs> I think that's what RoboCop did so well. It said, the near future. It didn't say when. No, it didn't so have it's, to. So it's always going Good to be point. the near future. Good point. Unless you're a couple of year, hundred years in the future, then why not? It's far enough in the future you're giving people some kind of a um, guidepost. Yeah, yeah, but, like Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah, it's two or three hundred years in the future. I'll buy that. But it's right. when they say it's like, like how many science fiction movies were supposed to be in 2000, uh-huh. and then we blew past 2000, and we're like, hey, we don't have flying cars. Where, where's, where's all yeah. this stuff? Space 1999. Where's our moon base Alpha? Exactly. That should have been yeah. there 20 years ago. I haven't even been to the moon. Lately. 50 years. Exactly. So, I don't think we've been to the moon since I've been alive, which is kind of sad. Yeah. Well, supposedly we're going back. We'll see. Well, now that we'll have the Space Force. Oh, God. Oh, did you see that uh, Steve Carroll? Okay, so... This kind of is okay for Star Trek comic book review. But did you see Steve Carroll's new uh, TV show is going to be out towards the end of May? I don't know who Steve Carroll is. Oh. You oh. mean Steve, Steve Carell? Oh, I'm sorry, Carell. Carell. Okay, yeah, sorry. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, no, I haven't heard of it. What oh, is yeah. It? It's, it's got it's a very uh, unique title. It's called Space Force. <laughs> and it's a comedy. And it's basically making fun of Trump's Space Force. I Aww. love it. It's great. Oh, I would love it. It's going to be great. So Trump said a four-star general is going to be at the head of Space Force, a Quinn Martin production. And so Steve Carroll plays a a four-star general (laughs) who wanted to be the head of the Air Force but ended up with Space Force. And that comes out this year? Yeah, May. May May 25th, May 26th. So they've already made it then. Yeah, they made it. Yeah. Oh, cool. It's a, it's it's a TV series uh, on Netflix. Ah, on Netflix TV or on Netflix? Okay. Yeah, it's, right. it's just a it's a yeah, it's probably I don't know maybe eight episodes or so. I, I don't yeah. know how many episodes. I just know it's starting at the end of May. Right. So there you go, Space Force. There is so much you could make fun of this ridiculous sure. idea. Looking forward and, to it. And since I don't have anything else about this issue, um, another TV show that's kind of in the same vein. Mm-hmm. As far as sci-fi and but funny is uh, Avenue Five. Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we've talked about it on the on the on the show, but if you're a fan of Star Trek and you but you kind of want to poke fun at it a little bit, um, it, it's not quite like Star Trek, like like Orville is, but 
it's kind of in the same vein, and it, and it even has Neelix in it. So yeah. <laughs> as I the astronaut, I recommend watching it. Yeah. Did you finish it? I didn't finish it. I'm about uh, four or five episodes in. Cool. Yeah, yeah it's 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 different. It's the, the, it's very dry. So it, 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 it's very intermittent. <clears throat> I, I think yeah, sometimes I'll be laughing so hard, and then other episodes I might not laugh at all. But yeah, but it also has a serious, you know, sci-fi story to it. Um, Agreed. Agreed. I, I just—it's kind of funny that the ship is this big, huge, luxury liner in space, which is beautiful and everything, and it's all so much of it's just BS for show. And the crew looks beautiful, and they all look like they're from Star Trek or something. And the real guys that run the ship are, like, under the floor, and they just eat burgers. And you, right, you hardly ever how see the, them. how the real crew cruise ships are. You know, you meet the captain, <laughs> but you're like, is he really the captain? And if he is the captain, then why is any captaining? Exactly. Why is he here <laughs> why is he here with at dinner, with you know, with yeah. everybody? Forget about exactly. it. Be up there. <laughs> I don't want to hit an iceberg. Exactly. I've seen the movie. Exactly. It's bad. <laughs> All right. What else you got for this issue? Um, I thought Spock looked like he was a robot at the end when McCoy is telling about uh, Hensham dying. So I thought he that was, was like so odd. Much. Oh, yeah, yeah. He is pretty random. The look on his face is like, like look at his face. Figure. It's like, what the heck's going on with you, man? I thought that was kind of odd. I think underscoring what a bad person Hensham was or Hen, Hen Sam, whatever, Sham, whatever the hell his name was, yeah. is he keeps on getting on Ahura's case at the beginning. Ahura, why can't you tell me about those meteorites in our path? And it's like, she's the comms officer, you idiot. <laughs> she doesn't work the, the sensors, I mean, the navigational sensors, whatever they got built into the ship, which is probably automated, quite frankly, to be looking for, for things in front of the ship. Uh, she's the comms officer. It's a it's a stupid job, but she's gonna do it. <laughs> anyway, I thought that was uh, kind of odd. So they don't remember what apparently her her job on the ship is. Although at least it seems like a more important job than a comms officer. But well, comms officer is important too. Yeah, I do like how in the UK strips she's given command of the ship quite a, quite often. Yeah, more so than I think I've, we've ever seen in any of the other books. Yeah. Which is which is good. No, it's really I like good. that. I like that. It makes sense because I mean, why call Scotty? I mean, usually, if you're in the thick of it, mm-hmm. you don't want your engine, your chief engineer, to have to come up and take over the ship. Take over the ship. Yeah. You know, just stay down, keep the engines running, let Ahura take over for a bit. Right. Cool. She probably won't fly into a planet like other people have when they take command. Right. 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 Okay, that's all I would say. Really? I'm done. Really? Kid? Wee wee? Because uh, I thought for sure you would say something about the leader's uh, microphone. A microphone? Well, yeah, okay, at the hold end on. of issue 72 when he's uh, yelling to maintain the attack. I really thought you would have something to say about that. The end of 72. Yeah. Uh, oh. Oh, okay. I mean, you're the one who always well, points gee, out this stuff. So Donovan, Donovan, tell tell it. What's the problem? Well, it just looks like an old timey telephone. Oh, is that what it looks like? 
<laughs> yeah, like they had Mayberry and stuff like that. Well, it, what did you think? It looks it? like Roddenberry <laughs> had something to do with this comic book. Yeah, huh. I, I thought it did. Okay, so now that you pointed out, the microphone is in, a, is in an interesting shape. Yes, it definitely looks like part of a male anatomy. Yes. Yes, it does. So the handle looks well. We don't have to go like into part detail. of a male anatomy, and there's like two lobes <laughs> that house the microphone, and uh, huh. they're kind of dangling there. Yes. <laughs> oh my God! You're right. That is uh, odd. Yeah. They did that on purpose. I doubt it. But well, maybe, who knows? There are kids reading these things. Anyway, okay. You're an old man and you didn't catch it. Uh, no, I did not catch it. And I, I probably only caught it because I've been reading the, the motion picture book so, so often. <laughs> <laughs> He's put it in my brain. That... Well, but would you know all that, that Dis, those Disney things, Disney animation things that... Sneak stuff in? Sneak stuff in, like... Like Tall Spires in the fairy book, sure. uh, Land of whatever, Snow White. And and then the, uh, what is it, the Adventurers or whatever that one is with uh, the little rats where they were. The Rescuers. Rescuers. The rescuers, yeah. So there's actually a poster in one of the, in, 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 a, in a window of a naked woman. Uh, uh, oh really? Oh wow! Yeah, I don't got, think I've seen that. In one. all the newer versions, they've taken it out. But in, if you still had the VHS one, you could actually pause it at the, just the right time to see it. <laughs> <laughs> now, how somebody found that out, I don't know. But uh, but that's uh, what the, the yeah. Out. I mean, back in the day, it wasn't unusual to pause a VHS player, but not during a kitty movie, cartoon movie. Yeah. So, anyways, okay. Interesting, so, Donovan. Any other interesting little things like that to point out? I know. I just kept waiting for you to point that out because you normally you normally see the stuff that I don't. Oh well, you, so you I spotted for sure that if one. I man. saw it. You would see it. Well, you know, if I would have read that motion picture novel, uh, Star Trek motion <laughs> picture novel, I think I might have noticed it too. True. True. My mind would have just been in that mode. Exactly. All right. So, Ken, what are we doing next week? Well, Donovan, we're going to be doing more UK comics. Why should we stop? So we'll do uh, 19, 20, and 21 next time. What do you think? Sounds good. Sounds good. Excellent. Excellent. I don't know uh, if the same artist sticks around, but uh, <sighs> I, I, like, I, don't I know. like this guy, so hopefully he does. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. But we'll I, see. I still like some of the earlier artists, but yeah. True. And I loved it when it looked like uh, you know Thunderbird ships, though, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 uh. Well, that okay. I've not. I, okay. Well, I guess so just, just made looking it real quick. It is. It is a new uh, art staff. Okay. Uh, so for better or for worse. I don't know. We'll find out. We'll find out. Okay. Looking at it, it's it's two different guys that we haven't seen before. Oh, another partnership. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thanks everybody for sticking with us this long. If anybody has, because this, I don't think this is one of the more interesting ones we've done, but. Thanks for joining us if you stayed on this long. All right. Thank you. Have a good time. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. 
You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.